This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. You're listening on the Radio Player Canada app, or you've ordered, commanded, demanded, same thing, uh, your smart speaker to play 640 Toronto. And we appreciate that because your smart speaker can be your best friend in your house, in your garage. I know my next door neighbor Blair's radio from the garage. He does that. On a regular basis, the garage can be closed. Radio's on. It's not. Sometimes it's our show, and sometimes it's not. I got to keep things interesting, apparently, for him. Um, but I think he's uh, he's retired now, so he's got all that time in the world. But it just sometimes you'll see hammering, hear hammering, banging, saw work, and yet at some point in time, he he, he has not yet sawed his smart speaker in half, uh, and he does listen from the garage. So good morning to Randy by the way, uh, who's a lovely, lovely neighbor. Boy, good neighbors are everything in life, aren't they? We have great ones on both sides of us, and I wouldn't just say that. And one of the two of them will be like, thanks for the shout-out this morning. But uh, Randy and Kathy and and Brian and Denise, they're amazing. You think I'm making names up, but I'm not. Um, it's great to be back. I haven't been in uh, to do the show since Tuesday. Thanks to Ben Mulrooney for being in. Stellar, stellar, Siskel and Ebert-esque thumbs-up reviews. Like enthusiastic internally and externally, uh, but they have allowed me back. You'd always check your key card to make sure it works to be able to come in. Uh, it's still just as much of a hassle to park. But I digress. That's not. That's not. Doesn't mean anything to you. It really doesn't. Um, weather-wise today, we're up to a high of two degrees. But talk about mixed bags. Weather's all over the map. It's all over the place with what you could expect today. Flurry here, a little pocket of sunshine here, a little of this, a little of that. I'm going to play you a couple clips from the CNN host, Fareed Zakaria. Uh, do you ever watch a GPS with Fareed Zakaria? It has nothing to do with getting lost. It took me about a year watching it to realize that the show's acronym, GPS, is Global Public Swear. And they started that in 2008. So it's been on for 15 years. But I'm not sure I've ever seen him say things. And he was talking about universities and uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. And so much of what I missed for three shows last week was this response, right, to these three university presidents who went before U.S. Congress. When can we start doing that? Because universities here are funded. They get tons of funding, tons of, uh, of bailout money when things aren't going well. Provincial governments, federal governments, they make sure that the university world works. Uh, and yet we, we don't terribly make them accountable and make them say things in publicly and swear under oath. I'm going to play you this clip in a minute or two, and I think you're going to be blown away. Um, one thing that's going to be a story this week for sure is the idea of you getting charged for reusable bags. And I saw somebody uh, in the comments, if you will, in the Toronto Star, and it was an older person. Uh, because they're retired and they don't drive anymore. Maybe they're not old. Maybe they're 38, but whatever. They, they're retired and they don't use their motor vehicle anymore. And so they constantly get their groceries delivered. And I'll tell you about her story in a second, right from her words. But the concept is there's going to be a minimum fee for reusable bags coming to Toronto checkouts. And Jennifer McKelvey, uh, who you might remember, who stepped in for John Tory around 11 months ago when he resigned and quit, and then she sort of ran the city as they called her deputy mayor. They didn't use the term interim mayor for about three or four months before Olivia Chow was elected. But she's the chair of infrastructure and environmental uh, committee and says the city needs a fee here because people have to attribute a value to these reusable bags so that you'll keep them. So you don't want to keep paying for them over and over again. 
Um, the concept is businesses by March 1st, 2024 would comply and start charging shoppers a buck per bag by May 1st, 2024. I'll give you an example. I'm at uh, Rexall yesterday. I'm buying this. I'm buying that. Band-Aids, mouthwash, um, bread, coffee. We ran out of coffee, so I think that's the reason I went there late morning after going to the after sleeping in. Isn't sleeping in wonderful? And going to the gym. And then coming back and th- I knowing we needed coffee, but then you leave with nine other things. This is pretty standard stuff, right? For you, for me, for everybody. But then you're like, I need a bag. And uh, they charged me 35 cents for a kind of a cloth bag that's now mine for life. But 35 cents isn't going to cut it in the city limits. The city wants uh, retailers to charge a buck per bag by May 1st, 2024. And that price is going to go up to two bucks the following year. Understand, this isn't just about um, the environment. This is about the city getting money from you, extra money. And what I don't like about this uh, scenario is the rich and the not so rich are are punished equally for this. And the punishment's going to be felt more, more by people who are poor than it is people who are rich. It, it, it is a bit of a pain, that's for sure, that you end up with 48 of these bags at home. And I'll read you the story from, uh, as I promised, what this woman said. Lizzie commented on the Toronto Star comments page. And sometimes you, you read the comments, you roll your eyes, you're like, that person's out of control. This person's even more out of control. But this is a salient, smart, cogent point about the accumulation of these bags. Lizzie writes, I order my groceries and have them delivered every week. I have every week. Think about this. There's 52 weeks in a year. I have three to five reusable bags delivered. So you're talking, you're adding about 150 bags to your house every year. Instead of plastic bags, I have a cupboard full of reusable bags. What do I do with them? I don't drive. I have mobility issues. So I'm not able to get out and about and get to the food bank to donate. They are not good for recycling. And she's right. These bags don't break down over time. They're not great for garbage. They leak when they're wet. We got to get Lizzie uh, uh, to run for city council. But it's such a pain in the ass. Why would she do that? She sounds like she's she's got a good life, except for the fact she's accumulating about 160 to 180 of these bags every year. I guess you could what, get in an Uber and drop them back all off of the grocery store. Would they even take them? Um, she uses one for towels and stuff at the pool, but the others are taking up space. And she's probably right where I am, where I buy plastic bags for cat litter. I buy plastic bags for going around and getting bathroom garbage. Instead of a giant, you know, uh, construction style garbage bag. Bottom line is we're spending the money um, on these bags and the companies and the corporations and even the people that make food. They're still using plastic like I've never seen before in my life. Everything comes from the grocery store now. It feels like plastic wrapped or in, in cardboard. So you're recycling way more stuff. The city wants your money for this. And part of this is to pay their debt. This isn't just all about making sure there's no plastic bags anywhere. Make Let's make sure we're, we're understanding of that. We'll see where this goes a couple days from now at City Council. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our next guest was on the plane that some believed was the Shohei Otani plane. And boy, he was guy. This this guy knows what he's doing. He made a, a, a photo of him in a Blue Jays uniform sign. First player to host Dragon's Den and lead MLB in home runs since Babe Ruth. He is Robert Herjavec. Uh, it's great to have you on. I loved what you did. Uh, like you've got you've got stories for life, Robert. Anyway, because of where 
where you've come from, what you've become. And you're like, oh, I guess I got another story for the next 20, 30 years, don't you? I feel like my 15 minutes of fame just went into 16. <laughs> it's really something. When when you're on the plane itself, the biggest question I wanted to ask you, are you getting reports of that? Are people like, hey, I think you're on a plane that people think somebody else is on, somebody that's about to sign a $700 million Major League Baseball contract. Were you hearing about this in flight? What's funny, Greg, is normally I'm such a connected guy, and yeah. I'm always on my phone, you know, running a pretty big cybersecurity company. So I'm always online on this flight. My wife had to go back to Australia from Memorial. So on the flight, it was just me and my five and a half year old twins. And I was spending every breathing second with them. Mm-hmm. Didn't check my phone, didn't check my email, had no idea what was going on until we landed. And what happens when you land? <laughs> so I land and I see all kinds of customs people outside. And normally when you land in Toronto with a private plane, they just kind of clear you. And I see all the customs guys and they all come on the plane and they're all super excited. And I'm thinking, gosh, what a nice, what a nice welcome. They love the show. They think it's better they than ever. Yes. And, and they come on and the first question I about this, where is he? And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? So they were heartbroken. They didn't even ask for my passports and they left. And then I saw reporters and people and a helicopter. And then I turned the radio on, checked my email. And of course, all my friends just assumed I was buying the J's. Really? Well, yes, that would be. <laughs> That's the next step, I think, is to make that pitch think, to uh, to Rogers, I think, at this particular point an, in time. What an amazing story. And. I don't know how it all started with my tail number, but uh, gosh, what a flurry of coincidence. So, and after you land, you're getting tons, like then then you plug your phone back in and it must be email after email, text after text from people going, do you, are you aware of this story and are, are you are you somehow part of it? And, and that might've been a valid question, Robert. Is is the player on the plane with you, right? Well, my, my friend's, Jokingly thinking about the Blue Jays, but everybody, <laughs> all my friends assume I knew him, that somehow I was negotiating with him or something. Obviously not true. Never met the man. Uh, amazing contract, by the way. And yeah, my phone's blowing up on it. And now I find out we actually have the same agency. We're both with CAA. Although I think he probably talks to his agent way more than I talk to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> he returned, well, in the last three days, yes, when your agent's about to close a $700 million 10-year deal, you, you, I think you return those calls once in a while, right? Uh, otherwise, if it's, uh, if it's hey, go on some Yub's uh, Toronto Morning Radio show, you're like, nah, not so much, right? I'd like, I, I'd, I can take that call whenever I feel like it. I know how it goes. Obviously, very disappointed he didn't come to Toronto. would have been a, a big signing for us with the Jays. Are you able to explain to your five and a half year old twins kind of the story of what's happened here? Like, I don't know, you know, how you look at baseball fans and or baseball players or hockey players and people on TV. It's just gods at that age. Do they know the story? They have no idea and could care absolutely less. <laughs> I've been on Shark Tank and Dragons them for 20 years and they could care less about that. So the whole baseball thing for them is like no idea what we're talking about. 
Oh, my heavens. Uh, we're talking to Robert Herjavec, of, of course. Uh, he's on Shark Tank, Shark Tank uh, Dragon's Den on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. To wrap the, the Otani thing, you know uh, business and you know infrastructure so well. And I was trying to explain to people, no, nah, this just isn't all about baseball. I mean, the Angels have never made the playoffs with this player. But, Robert, what this would do for Toronto, a city you know and love well, to supercharge tourism, to supercharge I- interest in just in terms of um, you know, the, the Asian population, I, I can't even put into words what it would do next summer, right? Had, had they signed him? Well, I think what people miss with a contract of this size, it's never about just the player, but you've got to look at the TV rights, what's happened in baseball and how much revenue that's brought in in the last couple of years. And to your point, just the overflow revenue from getting people in the stands. Uh, you know, business is about, profitability. No one's going to pay Otani that kind of money if they're not going to get a return on it. And I think it would have been great for Toronto. I think it would have been great for the city. I mean, obviously uh, good for the Dodgers, but uh, it's a lot more than just the one player. It's the overflow effect of the entire city. Mm, it's a, it's just an amazing story, like I said. And uh, you know, I still hope they do this, but you know, I, I don't. I, I'd like, I'd love to see you know, you you put that uniform on from your Instagram photo throughout the first pitch. I mean, the Dodgers are here for three games in late April. There, there, there could it's be, there could be a tie-in. We can make this. I, I bet you got a lean, a lean, mean fastball. You can get it over the plate at wow. 68, 70 miles an hour. Come on. I I did throw the first pitch once. Um, at a Red Sox game, and I didn't make it over the mound. So that's a little embarrassing. But uh, absolutely, I think if the Jays are listening, they could certainly sign up my son and me for $400 million. We would definitely take a haircut. I mean, I'm not going to give your age away, but you're a sharp-looking dude for your age. Gordy Howe scored like 30 goals in the in the in this last year in the NHL at age 52. Robert, like, like honestly, you you look a lot younger than Gordy Howe. Men look a lot younger than I don't know what they were doing in the 1970s. All our dads, all our dads, when they were 30, they all look 55. I am I am super fit for a 90 year old man. That is true. So I could definitely play. I know I could play. While we have you, not not that you're going to uh, relate in any sort of uh, uh, speculation or innuendo, but your show's going to lose Mark Cuban in the next year. Um, when we talk about ads and ads and deletions to a big TV show, Mark's a big part of what you guys do on Shark Tank. I think uh, Mark's a great guy, and uh, you know I've always wanted to get the sports ownership. And, and Mark and I bought a pickleball team about a year ago. And as Mark often says to me, we are going to make hundreds of dollars on that. Um, <laughs> so it's my first foray into sports ownership. And I think Mark's great guy's been on the show with us for 10 years. Our show now runs in 56 countries or something. And it's a powerful format. I think whether Mark is there and I, I hope he stays, uh, the show continues. It'll last well past Mark, well past me. Uh, I think we're all great for the show, um, but it's the format. Look at Dragons Den in Canada. Yeah. It's in its 18th season, and they've changed the hosts so many times. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it's one thing to move the host, but the concept and, and the, the entire vibe of the show uh, ends up uh, remaining the same. Do you, do, you, do you think he'll run for president someday? Well, I think I think Mark would make uh, a great president. I think Mark has a really level head. And obviously, look at the amazing job he's done with mm-hmm. the Mavericks. I mean, he bought that team for two hundred eighty-five million. Just got valued at three and a half billion. Um, 
not sure what he's going to do with it. You know, I, heard, I just read a rumor that they may move it to Vegas or there would be an expansion team there. So never underestimate Mark Cuban. I won't. You've got a uh, you've got an amazing story uh, from the weekend, uh, and I'm sure it uh, <laughs> that bit of an adrenaline rush when you saw the security people come off the plane. But uh, we thank you for sharing it. We're such big fans of what you do as well. Uh, and thanks for giving us some time this morning. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Robert Herjavec uh, joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Beer going into corner stores. It's been talked about for some time. There's always been rumors. There's always been speculation. But it looks like this week it's becoming more of a reality. Dave Bryans is the CEO of the Ontario Convenience Stores Association. And he joins us now on Toronto Today. Thanks for making the time for us on this Monday morning, Dave. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me on. You've been waiting a long time for this, haven't you? Well, I've been working on it for 15 years, so <laughs> we're finally going to see, you know, a, a, a finally going to see a change for all Ontario people bringing, you know, retailing of beverage alcohol into a modern retailing world. I mean, how, I mean, we're antiquated in the way we've handled beverage alcohol for almost 100 years now. We're, we're antiquated, certainly compared to Quebec, uh, compared to the United States, certainly to Europe as well. You mentioned 15 years, Dave. When you were back in 2008, there still was another, what, 10 years of the Ontario Liberals governing. Were they responsive at all to these ideas, the McGuinty governments, the Wynn governments? Did they listen at all to the logic of this? Well, I believe they listened, uh, but didn't know what to do. And as you saw, during that period of time, they sort of inched along and put it in some grocery stores. They signed this 10-year deal with the beer store called the MFA Agreement. But there was a lot of uh, public pressure to open the market. And I I believe McGinty thought about it, and I thought, and I believe uh, Kathleen Wynne didn't want to. Uh, So, I mean, it just put it back on hold. This actually started in the Liberal government in the late 80s, uh, when the Liberals were actually going to put it in convenience stores, but then got defeated uh, at the polls, and it sort of died at that time as well. What does this do to the average uh, convenience store owner in terms of hoping to drum up business? Because the concept is we don't just want people coming in to buy beer or potentially wine. We want them buying more things as well. We want to keep these these places open in our communities. Sure. I mean, just think of the millions of people that stand in a beer store on a weekend right now in Ontario will soon have the opportunity, whether it be rural or urban, to stop in their local convenience store and buy their beverage alcohol for the weekend or their parties and also be able to buy other products such as lottery, salty Mm -hmm. snacks or anything that they need that day for their family meal even. It is such an interesting scenario to think, yeah, that that it would expand these stores out. I mean, we've all, again, I'll use the U.S. as an example. We've all walked into these massive convenience stores, seen the walls of uh, of, of beer and wine on the wall. But it also lets them, it, it, it may provide the financial uh, strength to let them offer far more things so that you go to these places more often. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, Dave, in a way, doesn't it? Sure, because this would be a great change for consumers. And think of craft brewers in every community would have the opportunity to sell their local products in local convenience stores. And, of course, as you said, for small family-run businesses to uh, to uh, actually put in capital and grow their business in every community. And keep in mind that, you know, convenience stores throughout North America, as you've already said, are the biggest sellers of beer for the three big beer companies uh, throughout the, uh, North America. So this isn't, you know, a new revelation or anything. This is just 
uh, bringing us into modern times. Dave Bryan's our guest, CEO of the Ontario Convenience Stores Association. A lot of conversations about um, being able to bring back empties. It's not it's not something even, you know, the grocery store around the corner from me, I, I can buy cans, but I can't bring cans back. Um, would the convenience stores take cans and bottles back? Would that be part of the duties of, of if you sell, we got to be able to come back to the same place and take our empties uh, to you? Well, I believe the government has already because uh, Premier Ford has said they're going to respect parts of the beer store business. And I think part of that will be recycling because it is the beer companies that want the bottles back for their recycle, uh, their own usage. And key, keep in mind, we already do take back in 400 convenience stores in Ontario in our LCO agency stores in rural Ontario. We are recyclable centers. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see what the government's plan is when it comes to additional recycling and how it should be handled in Ontario. You're used to the reaction to this. Who's going to say that's no good for me? Is it local craft brewers? Is it is it local beer makers? Who's not going to be for this over the next 72 hours before we actually get an announcement? Well, we work very closely, and I have for the last 15 years with the Ontario Craft Brewers Association and many craft brewers because they need more access. They just mm-hmm. can't have one little standing building and, and not have, you know, not get the bottom left-hand corner. I've always advocated that when the government makes the announcement, and hopefully it's it this week, that 30% of the shelf would be dedicated to craft beer in every convenience store in Ontario and also allow the craft brewers to uh, – sell directly to convenience stores rather than have to go through this mega distribution system that's uh, really outdated as well. So interesting. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for your insight on this. We're e- eager to see what uh, what the announcement is a couple days from now. Thanks for giving us your take on it. Great. I think we're all looking forward to hearing what, what's in this uh, announcement. So thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. Dave Bryan, uh, CEO of the Ontario Convenience Stores Association. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. In a second, Marcus Domenico. I want you to hear this. Fareed Zakaria hosts a GPS on CNN. Uh, he started talking about what universities' jobs are. And his concept, his thesis, stop it with the politics. Get your gaze back on what's important your core strengths and rebuild your reputations because they're in tatters. Here's it was something else. And 15 million people have now seen his uh, six minute commentary on this just based on X numbers alone. Here's Fareed Zakaria from CNN. I thought this was amazing. I did. I'm in this corner on this. Here's what he said. When one thinks of America's greatest strengths, the kind of assets the world looks at with admiration and envy, America's elite universities would long have been at the top of that list. But the American public has been losing faith in these universities for good reason. Three university presidents came under fire this week for their vague and indecisive answers when asked whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate their institution's codes of conduct. But to understand their performance, we have to understand the broad shift that has taken place at elite universities, which have gone from being centers of excellence to institutions pushing political agendas. People sense the transformation. As Paul Tuff has pointed out, the share of young adults who said a college degree was very important fell from 74% in 2013 to just 41% in 2020. 
in 2019. So there's some data to back it. Um, his commentary was amazing. And I think a lot of people uh, it, it resonates with right now. There's a bit of a hive mentality at some of these schools. And and I don't know the Canadian schools are any different. Marcus DiDomenico uh, joins us right now. Um, he's a, a, a Toronto Catholic uh, District School Board trustee for Ward 2. When you hear that, and I asked if you would watch it last night, what do you think of, of some of what he said, Marcus? Uh, good morning, everyone. That's uh, that video well, it's better than any Pearl Jam video I've ever seen. Um, yeah, it was absolutely stunning. Uh, CNN, you know, first of all, CNN making that kind of uh, turn in their dialogue is interesting too. But it is uh, very true. There's been a massive shift in the last 20 years in what universities are presenting to students, and it's negative. It's very, very uh, destructive. And it is not academic excellence. It's more social engineering. And that's that's not good. That's not going to be good for our students. When I went, and I'm sure you went, and I would make the case when our parents went, university has all universities have always been about politics. The 60s, there's a lot of corrective change. Kids protested the Vietnam War in the States. They talked about civil rights. Let's let everybody vote. And I think there's even been activism. I think I think the idea that, hey, why don't we let two men get married or two women get married? I think that started on college campuses and then sort of trickled into society where we're like, yeah, we should do those things. But there's a line, isn't there? And I, I just worry it's gone. It's gone way more about activism and a lot less about actually educating students. Well, I think in the 60s and 70s, it started with people like Martin Luther King Jr. And it inspired college students to most certainly and positively get on to the idea that of racial equality, of the ending of the war in Vietnam. But this has turned into almost like an institutional business where we need to have groupthink on university. Universities are supposed to be very, very intellectually challenging people it's not supposed to be we all think the same and you can go right to the staff hires too how many let's say conservative profs are hired versus how many small l liberal profs are hired and as an associate professor so that's going to really of color how people see their education through what lens and it's it's not right right now. We we have it here. We can't point just at Harvard and UPenn and MIT. We have it here at York, at Concordia in Quebec, where there's great, great problems mm. with how education is being presented to students. Marcus Domenico is our guest. Fascinating chat with him. Ward 2 trustee for Etobicoke Center joining us on Toronto Today. And some of this, clearly, the last nine weeks have brought up more of these conversations. I think universities are where young people should go to learn ideas, explore ideas, uh, learn what they might be right and wrong about, evolve their opinions. And I obviously, uh, if you're going to criticize Israel, fair game. Many Israelis criticize Israeli foreign policy and think it's been too destructive, too heavy handed, too this, too that. But it does feel like we're having more of these conversations based on the framing of the last nine weeks, Marcus, and a lot of these pro-Palestinian protests, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that, uh, hey, I'm all in favor of a very, very uh, excitable and interesting discussion and sharing views and listening to opposite views and trying to convince. That's perfect. And university campuses really are fine for that, of course, because young people are developing their own ideologies based on what they're presented. But when I watched the congressional hearing and seeing those three 
university deans not even able to say that the calling for genocide is a code of conduct. It was jaw-dropping. Yeah. Like, it was absolutely the the core of the problem was right there. And, and I think, Greg, it's mm. just beginning. I think a lot of university deans in the States, and perhaps in Canada, but definitely in the States, are going to be called on the carpet. Mm. And it's already happened in New York, by the way. Uh, governor there has, has made sure that uh, CUNY and the uh, New York one, uh, NYU, made it clear that jet calling for genocide is not acceptable on their campuses. Apparently from Wednesday to, I think it was Saturday night when I looked it up, uh, a billion dollars of potential donor funding for Harvard had either been threatened to be taken away or was taken away from people who saw the same hearings you did. Like, I I, I don't know when it sort of comes home to roost for some of oh, the Canadian universities and people say, like the schools you mentioned, York, Concordia, wherever, um, TMU, wherever, where people say, I, I, I can't give you the money anymore if you're not going to have a moral stance on this, Marcus. Well, I think what will happen here in Canada, because we're not as reliant on the donor base as they are down there, mm-hmm. I think it'll be done by people just not going. I mean, if you're a Jewish parent... And your student, your, your, your young man or young woman wants to go to university. Are you going to send them to university that does not provide safety? Yes, intellectual uh, freedom is super important and the sharing of ideas. But yeah. basic safety, are you going to do that? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's the biggest thing right there is am I, forget if we disagree politically. Uh, is my kid physically safe uh, to go to the study hall, to go to the gym, to walk on campus, to show that they are of a certain religion? Uh, we were worried about kids already with skin color, like I said, 50 years ago, and we've gotten past a lot of that. And now it's about uh, the God you worship and it's no good. Marcus, I got to go. Thanks so much for the conversation and we'll have more soon. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Greg. Have a great day. Awesome to have you. Good stuff. Marcus DiDomenico, War II trustee for Etobicoke Center. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. All right, let's do facts. Toronto Today presents facts, as in just the. So we take a couple minutes and we give you uh, four uh, facts about something and one falsehood. Yes. Um, and we had a couple options today. We what, did. What are the so options that Gordon option and I have to choose of- from? Okay, Wall Street opened on this date in 1987, so we can either do a fax on Wall Street, or in 2019, Greta Thunberg was named Times Person of the Year. What category would you boys okay. like to take? So, well, I love Wall Street. I love my my Gordon Gecko, Bud Fox. I love that movie, right? The Gordon yes. Michael Douglas, Charlie Green Sheen. Green is good. There's uh, Daryl Hannah's in it. Yeah. Before she meets Neil Young. <laughs> um but let's do Greta. Greta's maybe more relevant. This is a plastic bag, st- yeah. all this uh, reusable stuff. The COP28. That's only four years stuff. ago. Greta Thunberg yeah. was Times Person of the Year in 2019? In 2019, she wow. was, yes. Yeah. So Greta. Okay, tell us four true things about Greta and one false thing, and we don't know the false thing. So we'll try and guess what the no, false thing don't. is. No, you don't. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background first. Greta Tintin Eleonora Ernman Thunberg is a Swedish environmental activist. Um, she's known for taking on world leaders, and she's 20 years old. Uh, she's a baby, and she's accomplished so much. Brady, you need to get on it. You need to up that resume of yours. Here are be the new Greta. <laughs> well, hey, I can get angry. I wag these, my finger a lot after you listen to these facts. Let's see if okay. it's appealing or not. Okay, four facts and one truth. You two need to figure out which. I'm sorry, four facts and one lie. Yeah. You two need to figure out which one is the lie. All right. Greta is worth 18 million U.S. dollars. 
Greta has Asperger's syndrome, OCD, and selective mutism. Okay. Climate change depressed her so much when she was 11 years old that she stopped talking, she stopped eating, and she lost 22 pounds over two months at the age of 11. Okay. Wow. Greta has been in a Pearl Jam video. Hmm. Greta has tweeted at Donald Trump, (laughs) telling him him to email her saying, yes, please do enlighten me. Email me at smalldickenergy at getalife.com. Wow. Wow. That which one? Discuss amongst yourselves. Which one's the that lie? One, that one happened for sure. I know that. Yeah. And, and if the SDE yeah. syndrome. If, uh, if number two happened, then that would translate to number three, right? If she has those. Uh, she has Asperger's. Asperger's and OCD I think and that's that. right. I'm going to go with the. I don't know about you, Gordon. I'm going with the money. I don't think the net worth is accurate. I think she's worth much, much more than that. More? More than $18 million. You said $18 million? $18 million. Yeah. I'm going more. 18 million, Asperger's, OCD, selective mutism, depressed at 11 years old, stopped talking and eating, lost 22 pounds. She's been in a Pearl Jam video, and she has tweeted at Donald Trump. Let's go Pearl Jam for me. Okay. Pearl Jam video. I say it's the 18 million. I think she's worth much more than that. Gord Rennie doesn't think she was in a Pearl Jam video. (laughs) None of us have been, so why would she get to? That's right. Um... Maybe she was in like a Soundgarden video or uh, another Seattle band yeah, video so, so at some point in time. Stone Temple Pilots. She's a big fan. And you've got our listening public in a tizzy wondering why, uh, what it was. What's the not true thing from your facts? So you are both incorrect. What? Not she what is worth wanted. $18 million. She has been in a Pearl Jam video. This was a little bit of a trick question because the last fact I gave you was she's tweeted at Donald Trump telling him to email her. Yeah. She has actually tweeted at Andrew Tate. It was not Donald Trump. Oh, he, but he answered. You he both got his, jumped on the so have you, bandwagon. Shiva. I have not tweeted it. Oh, okay. Take. Give it time. So the, the morning's young. <laughs> okay. Pearl Jam made a video in 2009. I, and she was in it. They make I, videos still? Yeah, they do. Nobody watches yeah. videos, but they make them. Okay. <laughs> That's why you didn't know Greta was in it. That's right. If she'd been in Jeremy or even Flo, you'd have seen I would have, it. I would maybe have tipped the scales. Plus, Greta would have been like minus five years old yeah. or something like that. <laughs> like, it's not 1992 anymore, I get told on a regular basis.